You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, Ph.D., an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing tarot, anarchist magic, and spiritual work as labor with Tess of City Witch. But first, Melody, how's it going? I'm doing great. I'm at a child's house. Let's see. <laughs> that could just be a dog's house. But it's a child's house. It's a child's house. Whoa. Those are my child noises. Toy, <laughs> child toy noises. I'm doing great. I had a good weekend. I had a sleepover, old school style. With Jones? Yep. Listeners we are going to need, them. they're going to get to know Jones soon. Whether they you, like it or not. Whether, whether, whether Jones they like it likes it or not. It or not. Right. <laughs> okay. Guess what happened to me on Saturday night? I watched the Kanye performance on SNL. Did you see that? I did. I did. Okay, just with the water bottle performance, what is your one sentence review? And I'll give you mine. This is off the cuff. Uh, yes. Um, I don't have formulated thoughts. I mean, weird is my one word review. Okay, unprofessional and unprepared is my two word review. <laughs> okay, yeah. They Like, are you kidding me? They, I love the background of the woman on yeah. her phone and the thing. I thought that was brilliant. That was yeah. a great piece of work. But like they had their backing tracks going the whole time. Yeah. They wrapped over them sometimes, didn't wrap over them other times. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like even beyond who Kanye West is, like that, like what a weak performance. Like yeah. so many, so many artists put in so much more work and would love a chance to be on that stage. And totally. they just acted as if it was like a party for yeah. them. And it reminded me of something I would see at 7th Street Entry, like an up and coming hip hop artist trying out new things. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, yeah, it didn't really flow well, except it's on SNL. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, if, if we know anything about Kanye, it's that he can get away with many things and people will still love and follow and support him. It was, it was unprepared and unprofessional. I, I would agree with that. So that's what Jones and I did. We watched that performance. I took a photo to make sure that everybody is aware that I was there for that actual performance. I watched it live. Excellent. Because we were worried that we were worried that like not worried, but we were both like, mm, this might go down as one of those performances that right. <laughs> people want to, you know, brag that they watched it when it happened. Right. Uh, but yes, my my footnote for all my Kanye statements is always I always appreciate him because of what he said during Hurricane Katrina. So I always have that like base level respect for him. But besides that, totally. So, um, yeah, we watched Girls Trip and went to Fun. bed early. Yeah. And then I read from Many Moons, that book Great. that mm-hmm. yep, got me on. So we read for October in the morning and we did clay facial masks. Oh, my gosh. That sounds so fun. It was so fun. I love that. That's yeah, it great. was great. Wonderful. How was how how have you been? Oh, uh, good. Besides some negative stuff, let's uh, yeah, see positive. Ne- yeah, I mean, we can obviously we we Instagram lived some reactions about the horrible the horrible week of news. I mean, and just you know that's like the patriarchy and rape culture in general, which I yeah as I as I said on IG live like definitely impacted me kind of harder than I thought it would. So it was it was a tough fucking week last week. The weekend was really good. By Friday, we had this awesome day on Friday, which is what also what we IG lived about. Um, so we had two interviews, one of which people are going to hear. And then we also did an in-person interview at Women's Woodshop, which we're, people are going to hear more about in November. And that was just so fun. So it was great to spend the day with you away from the internet. And then I had a friend over from 
um, my new workplace, so making work friends, and saw Crazy Rich Asians on Saturday with my partner. We had a movie date. Um, and then on Sunday, I met another new friend um, who was sort of like, it was like a friend set up from friend of the show, former guest of the show, Dr. Mish Simdars, um, knew somebody here who she was like, you should be friends with this person. So now I'm friends with another person in Minneapolis. So it was a good like friend, friend weekend. Ditto all around. Yeah, love it. Cool. We kept it so positive. In sync even. Oh, speaking of in sync. One last thing I have to say, my partner Dakota, he got to see Justin Timberlake in I concert. I saw that on Dakota's social media. And they were only like a couple rows. They're so close to him. That's cool. He had a great time, which is what's important. That's, so, great. That's great. I'm not jealous at all. I'm just very excited for him that he got to go. So Yeah. Wait, was, that, sar- was that sarcasm? No, like- that wasn't sarcasm. I know, right? It sounds like my sarcastic voice. Yeah. No, no, because I had my sleepover with Joan. So right. I did my sleepover and then he went to the show with his friend Allison. Great. And I would just like to note that there's lots of partners that will go do separate things by themselves and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And with people that... Of all different genders and sexualities. Of all different genders, even if there's a possibility that there would be attraction. Like, wow, how amazing. You can, like, have friendships and intimacy and not have people freak out. Yep. And neither of us had any kind of jealousy. So I meant that actually, like, honestly, because I know some relationships really struggle with letting their partners go. Especially when it's you're going with the person of the gender that you're most attracted to. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. a woman going out with another woman or whatever, like, that causes a lot of grief. But yeah. In our relationship, I'm lucky that we have that all sorted out. Bless queers. Not all queers, but many queers. Cool. I'm so excited to have folks get to hear this interview we did with Tess of City Witch. I started following Tess after I heard them on the Wild Soul Healing podcast that Lindsay Mack does. And they were just saying literally all of the things that I love. They were like, Caliban and the Witch really influences me. Um, I came from like anarchist culture. I was like, oh my gosh, this person is saying all the things that make my heart happy. And so I've been following them on social media and just have become really, I really appreciate their approach to tarot and uh, was so excited to have them on the show when they agreed. So I'm happy that folks, oh, and by the way, this is for Witch Month. So we're back to Witch Month. Hooray. Second annual, second annual Witch Month. So Tess is kicking off Witch Month for us. And yeah, so they they share so much rich insight about thinking about magic in general uh, in in relationship to capitalism. And we just get into a lot of really, really cool stuff. So I'm stoked that people will get to hear this. Let me tell you a little bit more formally who Tess is. Tess is a folk reader, city witch, retired sex worker, and zinester reading in so-called Ottawa, an unceded and unsurrendered Algonquin Anishinaabe territory. They are a Cancer Sun and Moon and Aries Rising. So without further ado, Melody, will you take us there? Okay, so thanks Tess for being with us, Feminist Killjoys PhD today. Our first question is about how you describe yourself. So you describe yourself as a folk tarot reader. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, um, I think at first kind of 
came out of me actually feeling the need to um, find a way to validate my practice in the sense that like everyone has a descriptor to go with the way they practice tarot. And I was dealing with like a lot of imposter syndrome over like, oh my God, I'm just a tarot reader and like what I do isn't a real job. So I'm going to like find a word to like brand what I do in a way that makes it seem more legitimate. Um, and so like there was that aspect to it. And then also a um, wanting to better articulate what I mean when I say that I'm a tarot reader because I found based off of where I'm situated which is a city but functions very much like a small town even like last night uh, I took a cab home and the cab driver was like very put off like asked what I did for a living and then was extremely put off by the fact that I was a tarot reader and was like oh well like every tarot reader I've seen tells me that I have like a very like strong aura and bad karma I need to leave the room and I was like what I, I don't know what you're talking about I've never had that conversation or like I've I would never do that and um I guess not that and, and also not that there's anything wrong with tarot use as a form for divination but um there's just such a tarot reading is just very hard to define um and that's one of the things I love about it by calling it a folk tarot reading or a folk tarot practice I wanted to honor the lineage of tarot being off, not always, but often something that's like passed down or like a tradition that's passed down and also kind of exploring tarot as a folk practice. Like we talk about say folk herbalism, meaning herbalism that is uh, rather than a credited naturopath, say like folk herbalism is just uh, herbal practices that were passed down often by the woman or like matriarch of the family and like shared as a family tradition. So I guess it kind of, yeah, helped me legitimize or feel like the work that I did was legitimate while still honoring the fact that I don't necessarily believe like you have to be, or I don't even think you really can be certified in tarot. Um, and that's, I think, been the, um, reaction to tarot being seen as a illegitimate or like fake practice um, has been like, oh, well, we'll just like certify people. And now you can say that you have this like certification to your name. So like, I do feel it is important to name lineage. And like on my website, I like to name lineage in terms of where I got ideas from or what influences the way I read tarot uh, so that people who are interested or have similar um, influences can find my work and also to honor like my teachers and um, to help ideas evolve um, because we can now trace where by naming our lineage we can like trace where we got ideas from and like how they've evolved um, but um, it's very I guess like brings up this really super nuanced conversation of ownership of ideas and yeah uh, yeah I can get kind of nuanced but yeah totally where I'm at with all of that right now I, um, I love that and that's I mean that's very much what sort of drew me to you when I first 
heard you on a on Lindsay Max podcast when it, that's when I first discovered you, and when you mentioned some of your lineage, which um, included like your anarchist politics and certain books that we're going to talk about in a moment here, um, I was really it, it exactly happened the way you thought that it would. That you know I was sort of drawn to that because of that lineage. Oh. To shift to something specific that you mention um, that influences your work, I've adored that you've given so much discussion to Sylvia Federici's Caliban and the Witch in, in your work and um, when you've been interviewed and written about things. And so I'd love for anyone in our audience who hasn't read the book to just sort of talk about this sort of general argument and then from that talk about why witches and really everyone else in the world um, should be concerned with the system of capitalism, both sort of how it emerged in relation to gender and anything else you want to get into um, and also why it's still sort of an important site of struggle. Yeah. Oh my God, this is so exciting, especially because I feel like every podcast interview I do or like any interview in general, I'm always like, and you need to read Calvin and the Witch. And it has absolutely nothing to do with terror theory, but <laughs> it's, like, essential. Um, and on one hand, for me, because I'm, like, always joking about, like, ugh, book clubs and, like, I, like, value, I really value direct action and can get kind of, like, ugh, I don't want to do, like, another book club. And I feel weird recommending, like, no, you need to read this book. But I also really love the book and like have had the blessing of like being able to attend some of Sylvia Federici's workshops on the commons, um, especially kind of when her follow-up book to Caliban and the Witch came out. Um, she did like a mini, I guess like book tour would be one way of saying it, um, and was did a workshop at the Montreal Anarchist Book Fair that summer about um, kind of where the commons is heading and why there's been a resurgence of the commons. So I think I, I'm getting ahead of myself because I did just assume that like everyone knew what the commons was. And I guess to sum up Caliban, basically it looks at the transition from feudalism to capitalism and how important alongside other things like the North Atlantic slave trade, how important it, the burning of witches and the oppression of marginalized, specifically gender marginalized and um, disabled folk, how important that burning of those people was under the under the name of like witchcraft or under the guise of burning witches, how important that was to the successful transition from feudalism to capitalism. And it also kind of talks about the commons, not as like the commons is a, a modern solution to all of our problems, but how important the commons meaning. So under feudalism, you would work the land for a lord. And any land that wasn't workable, meaning like you couldn't harvest anything off of this land, had the potential to become what was now known as the commons, just meaning like land where people met communally. So for example, when it comes to gender-based oppression, um, if someone's you know, um, husband was assaulting them or, you know, we had like domestic violence, women could then use the commons as a space to meet and coordinate how they would fight back against that domestic violence or like how they would solve that problem. And it kind of talks about how when we transitioned to capitalism and we started privatizing land and, you know, with the like evolution of the nuclear family, all of these things are ways that 
capitalism separates us from each other. That's a fantastic summary. Yeah, completely. So I guess sort of the follow up to that is, can you talk about why you personally sort of feel that it's important to not be sort of separated and isolated and alienated and in all the ways that capitalism does that to us? Um, And maybe how you've, uh, I know you do like, you know, activist work and stuff. So how, like, can you give examples of like, what, what is like restoring the commons look like sort of on a small scale? Yeah. So um, I guess there's kind of two ways we can go with this. One thing I'll like really quickly touch upon is like the Sylvia Federici's kind of follow-up book to Caliban and the Witch, um, Revolution at Point Zero, does a really great job if like people want to, are like interested in the concept of the commons and why there's been a resurgence of it specifically uh, she talks about a couple cities in the global south in terms of ways that women are starting to, for example, like going grocery shopping together is like something that women stopped doing or doing housework together is something that women stopped doing um, as we kind of separated and like privatized our relationships um, and like community. Like one really simple example would be like, yeah cooking a meal together, going grocery shopping together. But I feel like the reason why I was also so drawn to emergent strategy was because not that it's um, like a, a perfect book, there's absolutely no like critique of it, but it felt like it gave me a lot of answers in terms of uh, reading that after and being so inspired by Caliban. And I was like, oh God, like, where do we go from here? Or like, what do, what's the solution? And also, how do I talk about these things with people in a way that's accessible? And I'm not just using like, my like history, poli sci degree, like vocabulary that I've, yeah, earned from being in like academia. Um, and emergent strategy, kind of like every time I get really sad about the state of things and feel really burnt out or frustrated, my like go to is to just like pick up emergent strategy because there's probably something in there that will like spark my mm, creativity in terms of how I come up with a solution. In emergent strategy, they briefly kind of talk about how humans are, well, in terms of a natural selection and adaptation, scientists are starting to discover that we don't adapt individually, we adapt mutually, meaning, um, we are less afraid of change and find it easier to facilitate change um, when we are in community and we are most resilient when we are in the process of giving and receiving love. So um, that interdependence, that kind of like a very important theme that is talked about like all through emergent strategy. And I feel like that's kind of the link between how we start facilitating community or yeah, basically just like making it easier to change. And like, we could even bring that into like a bigger discussion about um, like, I've been really into studying the um, kind of how we're in the end, not at the very end, but coming up to the end of this, the second industrial revolution. And, um, how labor is very, not like immediately, but in the next decades, 100 years, labor is going to be mostly automated. Like the part of, so I read tarot, but I also work for this app. It's a companion AI and it it's, it's called hashtag self-care. Um, and it basically helps people sit with their feelings when we have, 
you know, really overwhelming feelings and de-stress. And the fact that it's an AI completely blew my mind because I was like, oh, so this whole like robots kind of doing all the labor is like not such a far-fetched idea. And it's like, what do we do now if our labor, our productivity is no longer associated with our ability to create capital? Meaning like, I don't actually have to go to work in order to um, put a roof over my head and food on my plate and clothes on my back. So um, like, how are we going to go through that transition in terms of like an industrial revolution where all of the industries are changing? So since you uh, started talking about labor in general, can you actually talk about your own life being a professional witch what that labor entails, and then also why it's important for us to understand spiritual work as work. Yeah, this is so exciting because I'm, so right now, um, friends and I are kind of, originally we started it with the idea of like, we need a witch union or like a union for like spiritual work and then have kind of, it's evolving. And so I think right now we are like more so of an effect have decided on being more so of an affinity group and um, a collective than necessarily a union, but still labor focused in terms of, yeah, like right now we're working on writing our manifesto on and, and how we define spiritual labor or like why we want to separate say spiritual labor from emotional labor, but then also how those things can overlap. And I guess like the first thing I would start off with saying is, like I've very much wrestled with the concept of like a profess- professional witch because on one hand I think it describes it as a profession, which it is, and that's good. But then there's also this connotation that comes with saying like profess- professional witch as like you do like if you're not a professional witch, that's just like, you know, teenage girls with like Ouija boards having their like goth phase or like their emo phase um, and it's just like a witch phase and not legitimate and I so kind of how I've wrestled with that is now using like I like to use the phrase like a vocational witch just meaning like witchcraft is something I practice as a vocation and that like I receive money for so that I can pay my bills after I provide spiritual labor and it's not that I dislike necessarily or find that like professional which is like an inaccurate term but I guess I've personally just struggled with like um the whole like girl boss kind of movement that then gets like associated with like professional witch or like hashtag like boss witch um because like as someone who like comes from like the labor movement I would never want to be someone's boss like in my head I'm like but bosses are bad and take like profit off of other people's labor yes i just have to like (laughs) chime in and like yes yes (laughs) i'm very much like hesitating as i said it's like woo, do i want to go this like do i want to go this route um and it's not that you know i have friends on instagram who i respect dearly and use hashtags like boss witch and it i also understand there's the connotation with being a boss just meaning like you are working really hard and we want to acknowledge that. And I do get that, but at the end of the day, a boss is a boss. Yeah. So, and at the end of the day, a boss is still someone who profits off of like their workers labor and has hiring and firing.
kind of determines whether or not you can afford to pay your rent this month. So yeah, it just feels so anti, like to me, the word witch is a very political term, especially in terms of class and with the context of like Caliban and the witch and how we, the powers that be used the term witch or witchcraft to demonize people and burn them for the purposes of suppressing like class resistance. So it's like inherently a political term, but I feel like has been, I guess depoliticized would be like an accurate word then, like depoliticized as by saying like boss witch or professional witch. Yeah, which again brings up like another really nuanced conversation of how like spiritual work is a form of labor, but is also spiritual. And so like, like even now in like 2018 in the tarot or woo kind of community, there's this huge debate over like whether or not, you know, we should pay for tarot readings because traditionally they're meant to be like gifts. And for some people, they feel it kind of sullies or dirties their spiritual connection to accept money in exchange for a tarot reading. And I understand that to like a degree in the sense that um, it has been very strange kind of navigating the transition from tarot being a personal practice that I use like for self-care and to like originally gravitated towards tarot because I needed a tool for self-reflection to help support me when processing and navigating like recovery from trauma but also now it's something that I do as a day job and there's like so many other frustrating aspects of it that come along with being your own boss or like running your own business and like I I do kind of understand why people don't want to accept tarot or accept money in exchange for tarot readings because of all of the business work that kind of and like administrative work and like doing your taxes, like all of the stuff that comes with it. I like understand sometimes it makes me really hate tarot, like to be completely honest. I'm like, I, cause at the end work is work, right? Um, it's the same as like, um, before reading tarot, I was a sex worker and it's kind of the same conversation we have about like sex work is real work, but also it's work. <laughs> so it comes with like, you can dislike being a sex worker without because you dislike having to work without it invalidating or delegitimizing sex work being work this is I mean this is like a comment slash hopefully a question that I'm just like I've been Mm -hmm. thinking through because I've been thinking like I used to hate like just the idea of an entrepreneur like I was just like ew like that's like totally like a rich white guy with a trust fund like that's just like the absolute like opposite of what I want to be working for in the world like I want to like build a working class labor movement that is like about workers you know like da 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 all this stuff like fuck entrepreneurship and then like in the last like five years it has taken this like feminist light like sort of like um iteration where we have like these women who are usually often identifying as like hashtag girl boss whatever and like, same thing like I have people that I respect that use those terms too I just like struggle with wanting to identify as a boss but if we think about like 
the sort of idea of like alienation under capitalism. It's that you're one removed from labor that actually has anything to do with like your own skills and desires, which is not the case. Like entrepreneurs in theory, terror readers mm-hmm. in theory are doing, you know, quote what they love. Mm-hmm. But then the mm-hmm. issue, of course, and then also like as a like, yeah, we both like or probably, I mean, I think everybody on this call right now, like, doesn't like bosses, but you don't have any workers that you're exploiting because you work for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, but mm-hmm. then, then, but then it comes down to the fact that as you're saying, like, whether it's sex work or tarot or any of these other things that we do for so many reasons, including, like, not being able to work traditional nine to five jobs, like, you know, all, all of these reasons that people choose sort of non-traditional work routes or are, you know, whether it's choosing survival, you know, forced, however we want to frame that, at the end of the day, it's still sort of about making money. And then that becomes inevitably alienating at a certain point. And so to make that a question, I guess, I'm actually a little bit curious how you 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 operate on a sliding scale. And so I'm wondering, like, mm-hmm. how you manage making money that you need to live <laughs> and also wanting to honor yeah. people's economic despair, you know, economic, you know, sort of fluctuation that people have that might be coming to you. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I guess like for transparency. So all of this happened because kind of the the reason why I started accepting money in exchange for tarot readings um, was basically out of survival just because um, I haven't been able to work for like years um, because of I guess you could say like my neurodivergency and also like I have trauma that um, I guess some people like I have received like a bajillion different words or like labels or diagnoses to kind of go along with that, whether we call it CPTSD or like there's like three different personality disorders that have been assigned to me. And like all of that is just in summary, like it makes it very difficult for me to have a boss or uh, get hired for a job in the first place or get hired and not get fired very shortly after because I don't necessarily um, take orders very well. Not in a, and I don't mean that in a like, oh, I'm such a badass anarchist, but just in a like, my brain is literally not wired that way and is constantly in a state of like fight, flight, freeze, bond. Um, so the hypervigilance comes with like having a boss looking over your shoulder all the time to make sure make sure that you're like doing your job correctly is like exhausting and just like literally not possible and then that combined with like ADHD I just like can't be on time anywhere because my brain doesn't process time uh the same way other people uh, along with a bunch of other stuff that comes with like neurodivergency so um all of that to say I've like been on disability for quite a not like a long time but I started reading tarot as like a way to um, try to get off or like move off social assistance because I did a lot of therapy while I was on social assistance that's basically all I did and then have now kind of been feeling better and more capable of working yeah so like I'm transitioning off of social assistance but I think part of one of I don't even know if I would call it a privilege but I guess one of the reasons why I can afford to offer offer sliding scales just because I'm used to like living off of $600 a month and somehow making rent and like bills all get paid for. So um, yeah, I am like slowly transitioning off of it. And there's like a process of doing that. Um, basically, I like report my income and then the government takes half of what I make 
and I get to keep the other half um, because I can't yet, I don't quite make enough yet to be able to afford to like pay my medication. And that's like also covered as part of social assistance. So yeah, I guess all of that to say is uh, I'm really good at, or maybe really bad at budgeting. I'm not sure, <laughs> but yeah, I have like some support from social assistance and have, I guess one of the ways I just personally deal with the discomfort of reading tarot under capitalism is that, and I guess this goes kind of in line with the whole folk tarot thing, or like how I like to say like magic is your birthright is that I don't think healing in like any capacity should be inaccessible, especially as someone who's, you know, had to fight so hard to be able to access therapy or, um, mental health support. I do believe that, you know, tarot is spiritual work and work is work and tarot readers need to pay their bills, but also, and like no shame to people who do do this, but like there's some tarot readers who charge hundreds of dollars for readings and, and have like six figure. Yeah. Like make six figures. And, um, this is book liberating tarot. And it's not like a phenomenal book, but there was, I did kind of appreciate that in this book, they do kind of break down um, the nuances of like, it's, um, hmm. okay, maybe a better analogy would be like, often, so I grew up Brethren, which is like Amish or Mennonite, um, it's a Protestant sect. And so there's this critique of like mega churches, with like a church, a pastor, and their congregation should never be in a different income bracket, meaning a pastor shouldn't be making like hundreds of thousands of dollars while their congregation is poor or working class and like tithing most of their income every month to the pastor. But then at the same time, also a pastor shouldn't be super poor while their congregation is like um, affluent and, and well off. So I feel like that, yeah, that analogy kind of articulates best what I mean by like no shame to people and what they decide to charge for their services. However, like I feel really uncomfortable if my services aren't accessible. And then, I mean, even on a really practical business level, it's like, what's your demographic? The type of people I read tarot for and most enjoy reading tarot for are people who, like me, are marginalized in different ways, whether that includes, like, gender or, um, you know, come from a working-class background. And I would be really bored. Like, I have taken jobs for people um, in a that come have a different class background and found it really alienating and, like, kind of triggering um, and very uncomfortable and so it's just not I don't know maybe this sounds cheesy but it's just like not where I'm meant to serve or which is a very woo-woo phrase which really just means like the role I play in my ecosystem is not there and the way I best fulfill my role in my ecosystem is through offering my services on a sliding scale um, and unfortunately there's no like online scheduling software or like booking software that works on a sliding scale so in terms of the like mechanics of how I do sliding scale it is like constantly changing because I'm just trying to find the best way to like work around people having to pay up front for a tarot reading but also making it like as simple as possible in terms of like me not having to like send you my paypal link or yeah so it's not like a perfect system yet but if there's like web developers out there who want to make like online scheduling software that accepts sliding scale payment that would also be really cool 
I'm not a web developer, so I do my best. Hi, Killjoys. It's Rachel here popping in with a reminder on some places you can find us on the interweb and how you can support us. So you can always subscribe to us on your favorite podcast application. And of course, you get extra FKJ points if you leave us a review on iTunes. It is a wonderful way to spread the word and gain new followers, and we really appreciate it. On the social media tip, we you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can like our Facebook page, and you can also join our closed community page, Feminist Killjoys Community-WTF Power. We have a Spotify mixtape that you can search out, Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape. And if you want to support us financially and you have some extra dollars, you could donate to our Patreon or as a one-time thing on our website, just click on the birdie to make a one-time PayPal donation. Patreon donors also get access to the Killjoy Review newsletter. And of course, you can always email us at fkj.phd at gmail.com. And finally, you can leave us a voicemail at 414-858-7818. Again, 414-858-7818. Back to the show. When you were just talking about the people that you're meant to serve, I think Rachel and I have had similar feelings about that with working at a community college where we've both struggled We've both worked at private liberal arts colleges and big universities, and we feel like a lot more at home teaching in community college students. So mm-hmm. we can, I definitely, we can definitely resonate with what you were just discussing. And I feel, even though I come from a middle to upper class background, those, that, that community does not make me feel comfortable at all. So I'm very, you know, happy mm-hmm. to serve a different demographic. So just wanted to share that. Um, and also, you mentioned earlier, you were talking about that when you started talking, you're like, well, this isn't anarchist related, but I did want to have you talk a little bit more about how you identify as an anarchist and how, I, I know you've brought this up a few times during our talk, but if you could just talk more ex- explicitly about how your anarchist politics interact and influence your witchcraft and your tarot card readings. And I'm sure the sliding the sliding scale is part of it, but um, what, what else goes into your tarot and witchcraft that is connected to anarchist roots? Yeah, so I guess like right now, the first thing that kind of comes to mind, I've been reading um, the book Joyful Militancy by, I think it's Carla Bergman, and I forget the other person who co-wrote it. So I'm really sorry that I'm not naming this other person, but it's by AK Press or produced by AK Press, and they have a lot to talk about. So I guess to start off with, like, they take the word joy and define it um, by the philosopher Spinoza, meaning our ability to affect or be affected. So joy isn't necessarily happiness. Joy is just, like, how we increase our ability to be engaged and, like, give a shit about how our life, the direction that our life takes, meaning, like, then the opposite of joy would be apathy and not caring. So I guess like that kind of is how I would sum up my tarot practice. I think in general, like originally as a personal practice, it started as like just like self-care and like how I I, am. My psychiatrist uses the analogy of an emotional bank, meaning uh, oftentimes there are situations in life that take money out of our emotional bank or like in disability theory, we talk about spoons, like a similar idea. And all I do with tarot is just put money in my emotional bank. And so I've been, now that I read for other people and not myself, is finding ways to increase people's joy or put money in their emotional bank or help them reflect on ways that they could 
put more money in their emotional bank or increase their joy. And so, yeah, there's like that aspect of, I guess, like anarchist influences. And then a lot of it too, like tarot is very hierarchical. We have the major arcana and the minor arcana and the court cards. And it's like, I thought we got rid of the divine right of kings like so long ago. Why are we still using like, like we talked about, you know, like bosses are bad. Um, also like kings are bad. And um, why are we still using this kind of like language? Not every tarot deck, but traditional tarot theory and all of the tarot teachings that and teachers that I have encountered so far have still kind of stuck with this uh, court cards being hierarchical and the major arcana being more important than the minor arcana. Um, and there are some people who are also like, I'm not the only one. It's not just like only me who's like pushing or evolving tarot theory to be more reflective of 2018 and not only reflecting um, upper class or like kings, queens, pages and knights. Um, so like, I personally don't, uh, like there's some tarot decks, like for example, the main tarot deck I use is a slow hauler and they've renamed the um, the court cards, pages being uh, students, knights being travelers, um, queens being visionaries and kings being architects. And they restructure their hierarchy as like page, knight, king, queen. And so I definitely like to name lineage the way that they renamed the court cards. So for example, knights being named travelers is because knights are ruled by the element of air and describe movement, how we move through the world. Um, hence the name traveler. Um, while that still takes something out of the context of like a hierarchy, it in the end, they are still looking at them in a, like it takes a meaning of the card as a context of hierarchy, but they still in the end, like structure the hierarchy of the court as like um, page, knight, king, and then queen. So for myself, I don't like to look at the court cards as having like any hierarchy because the court cards are double elemented, meaning there's an element associated with their court and there's a, or like title and there's an element associated with their suit. So the knight of pentacles then would be like air and earth. So for me, all we're doing with the court cards is figuring out how to hold two elements together, whereas the ace to ten of the minor arcana is like an element and a number. So we like try and figure out what to do with the like single element in the ace to ten, and then in the court cards, we're just double elementing it. And it doesn't mean that uh, the ace to ten or the the court cards are like more important or have like a hierarchy to them. It's just um, I guess, and maybe this is probably influenced by, like, uh, emergent strategy and the focus on, like, biomimicry and, like, looking at ecosystem, like, nature in terms of uh, analogies or, like, how we structure things. But, yes, all of that just to say uh, one of the ways that my anarchist political roots influence the way I read tarot is just um, through having, like, non-hierarchical having a non-hierarchical approach to the cards and instead focusing on like 
the elements in terms of like a hierarchy with a court card specifically. Often in like woo-woo circles, we talk about tarot's and mirror, meaning tarot just reflects our life back to us. Um, or like I use the analogy of like tarot's and mirror and we're going swimsuit shopping and a tarot reading feels very much like going swimsuit shopping with someone else and trying on different swimsuits in the sense that it's very vulnerable. And so if tarot is a mirror, then like why should tarot not reflect everyone's lived experience um, and like there's definitely an argument to be made like when we make a tarot deck or the way that we interpret tarot cards is totally biased and like that's one of the reasons why there's so many tarot readers is because there's no one way to read tarot and it's just like the way I read tarot is totally biased by my lived well both my lived experience and also then as an extension of that like my personal beliefs on how uh, we should structure society, um, what I value. So I guess it's maybe one another way of phrasing it is just like, we could say like, yes, like the way I read tarot is influenced by like anarchist theory or like anarchist philosophy, but also it's just my values are coming through in terms of how I read the cards. So like my values of like autonomy or like decentralized leadership are all kind of the core influence in terms of when I talk about a card, what comes out of my mouth. So it's like the three of pentacles. I'm always like, ah, the unionizing card, even though I don't necessarily mean like the three of pentacles comes up and it means you're going to start a union. But um, just like in the back of my head, that's the first thought that pops into my mind. That's I amazing. I love that. I'm <laughs> going to always remember that now when I see three of pentacles. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this also, I mean, this reminds me, this this conversation comes up a lot in academia in terms of research, like, can you ever be objective? And obviously, like, we, Melody and I 100% don't think you can. And we became friends early in our PhD program, I think, because we both also came from, like, activist, anarchisty spaces. And it's like, why would we not insert our politics and our teaching and our research? And it was, like, shocking to us that anybody even thought that, like, you could separate yourself and that, like, you wouldn't be motivated by your politics. And that's been, like, a real, like crux of like the work we do on the podcast and just our friendship and you know carving out spaces in academia I think the same way that you're talking about carving out spaces in tarot like of course you're going to bring your politics to your readings so yeah I just really I just appreciate so so much of what you said well everything you said I appreciate and something there was a connection that made me think that this was like the perfect time for this other question we wanted to get into and I'm kind of forgetting what the connection was but oh just about like how you know, we're, we all have all like these very, very like sort of deeply unique experiences and, you know, that being reflected. And so I, th I think, I mean, I want you to talk more about this, but, you know, obviously you're very intentional about um, making space for marginalized folks. You talked about that in terms of, you know, gender, sexuality, et cetera. And so, and to me, that seems, it, that makes it extra powerful when I've heard you say you're right, magic is your birthright, because I think that obviously so many marginalized mm -hmm. folks are told you know, they're told no a lot, you know, we're, we're told no a lot in very, in various ways and capacities. So can you expand on what you mean by magic is your birthright and why that's extra important given the types of people that you build community with? Yeah. So it was kind of this like aha moment for me personally. And I didn't realize that sharing that aha moment with other people would resonate so much. It was more so one morning last winter, I woke up and had this thought and sensation in my body that like accompanied this thought of like, I'm not going to hell. Holy shit. And um, growing up, brethren, 
had kind of internalized as much as I like logically knew after I like cut off communication for the most part with my family logically knew like okay hell is not a real place it doesn't exist in my paradigm hadn't processed that physically like in my body that I wasn't going to hell and it's kind of like the way I carried myself through the world and like moved my body was just like the fear of like okay I know reading tarot and like being super gay and and non-binary means that I am going to hell and I had just kind of accepted like this makes me a bad person and like I was born with like sin meaning there was like something I didn't do anything wrong but I still had to like atone for this like badness that I was born with and then was like okay so sin is no longer my birthright then because hell isn't real so what is and I think that's also too kind of this concept okay, magic is my birth right now. Like I am inherently a magical being who is like, meaning I am both corporal. I am both material and immaterial. I like straddle this line of materiality or immateriality. And yeah, that's also, I think where like shortly after I started thinking about then the concept of folk tarot and tarot being, folk tarot means that like magic is our birthright, that we are inherently like divine beings and I think too then that also brings in kind of like I will say and maybe this is like really cheesy and probably super naive and I, I feel like a lot of people maybe would disagree with me on this maybe not maybe I'm just like worrying about what other people think too much but like I think at the end of the day I do genuinely believe that people are altruistic and that when we harm others or do things that are considered like bad or sinful. It's really just coming from a place of like survival. And um, I don't think that at the end, yeah, at the end of the day that anyone is like inherently sinful, meaning we, if we are like inherently magical, I do think that comes with being like altruistic. And, um, and I don't know, I maybe, and that is also just my way of coping with like, the fact that there are some really fucked up things that happen in the world and the only way I can kind of process it or not like break down every five minutes when something terrible happens, especially with, with, you know, like social media and being plugged in all the time and having to process traumatic events on such a wide scale. I think the only way I can kind of personally survive is just believing in the end. At the end of the day, everyone is just trying to do their best and um, are yeah inherently magic and not sinful beings so and like in terms of how that intersects with like queer or marginalized folk I think like we could bring this back to the whole um so Caliban kind of talks about mostly witchcraft and like earlier medieval western kind of context because there was the transition from feudalism to capitalism and then as we're like off colonizing North America or the New World, um, there's also the, like, witch trials then. And, like, along with that comes, like, Puritanism and the fear of the pelvic region. And there's actually, there's a um, a person, I don't know, a theorist academic, I'm not sure, a lovely person named uh, Tata Kazumi who had put forth this idea that we fear the pelvis because we, at meaning settlers, uh, European settlers on stolen land, um, are separated from our homelands and carry that trauma, that like ancestral wound in our pelvic region. 
you know, like we joke, white people can't dance. And it's like, our pelvic region is so traumatized. And like, that's where we carry it all that we literally cannot properly or freely like move our pelvic region. And like, we can link that kind of back in with the whole kind of Puritan movement of like, you're damned to hell um, kind of idea. And I guess like it was so important for me and it like seemed really silly to be like 23 and finally process like, oh, I'm not actually going to hell when I die. And maybe this place doesn't even exist. And like, I'm not a bad person or like evil and I shouldn't be demonized. And like, it seems so simple. And like, I feel like to some people it's just like common sense. Like, of course it's not real, but um yeah, and I'm even kind of like tearing up as I talk about it because it's just so visceral for for me. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Yeah, there was, again, lots of, I just appreciate everything that you're sharing and um, the energy that you're you're taking to, to share it. Uh, we, we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I guess it's been like the coolest thing about like, like I can't stop talking about this app that I've been working for and it isn't isn't tarot related like there is a tarot deck in the app but I'm not a tarot reader for the app but um it very strangely the job offer like came about like within 24 hours of having this conversation with uh a, um my partner and my partner's father about like what do we do like how do we use technology like technology is a tool and how do we use it to become more interdependent or, you know, like there's a whole concept about like the digital commons, um, which has kind of been like a topic of discussion um, more recently in, in academic or activist spaces. Um, but like, how do we use technology to heal um, instead of um, separating us? And so kind of the whole idea behind that app is like, and the fact that it's a companion AI is um, to like facilitate that connection or interdependence. So often we use video games to distract ourselves. Um, and like, I've always used video games to distract myself whenever I'm feeling a lot of overwhelming feelings. I will go play a video game to help myself tolerate distress. But um, instead the app, the like games are all developed to help people sit with their feelings. And like um, we use the phrase like tend and befriend rather than like going into our fight, flight, freeze, fawn, um, 911 system. So yeah, it's been like super mind blowing to like be a part of, I wouldn't say maybe like the first time anyone's ever used like technology for healing, but the beginning or one of the first few apps that are out there that are like structured completely differently than like, like I don't know a whole lot about like developing video games. And um, so I don't know all the big fancy words to use to describe this accurately, but like from the like meetings that I've been on with like the developers or like, yeah, video game developers. Um, the, yeah. The games are like literally very intentionally structured to not distract you from your feelings, but instead help you make, kind of like make peace with them or like, yeah, tend to befriend your feelings. So um, that's given me some hope for sure. That's rad. That's so great that that can yeah. be another like form of work. That's also like 
you know, not not terrible. <laughs> and yeah. so that's that's really awesome. Amazing. Well, we are just so again, so so grateful that you took uh, time to talk with us. We learned a lot. We think our audience will. And I just love, you know, speaking of like technology, bringing people together, like, it's just been such a pleasure to like, feel, you know, sort of close to you via social media. And I'm so glad we finally got to talk in via Skype. Mm -hmm. And so that was super fun. And so if you could just let our audience know where they can find you if they don't already follow you. And also if you want to also plug, I know you're doing photography now too, if you want to plug that too. Um, cool. Okay. Well, my website, like, uh, if you want to learn more about like workshops or booking tarot reading or just different ways we can connect, um, my website is www.thecitywitch.ca. And my Instagram is cityxwitch because someone took the city witch handle and wants money for it, even though they're not using it. And I'm really mad. So I had to put an X in between the word city and witch. And, um, I also, yeah, have been kind of getting back into photography because it's just nice to have creative time and not be working all the time. So my photography account is Tender Ache. Mostly because Instagram for me started out as a visual diary and then turned into work and I needed another account that was now again a visual diary for me to just kind of share my feelings through photography. Yeah, I think those are all kind of my handles. Anything else, like my Patreon, all of that kind of stuff is all on my website. So amazing excellent cool well thank you again so 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 much this was awesome you're great okay thank you all right so lovely okay Bye. bye